This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Everyone wants to have great sex. Unfortunately, few do. Who gets to decide what great is? Valeria Tellez interviews Galen Foos, the author of Decoding Your Kink, Guide to Explore, Share, and Enjoy Your Wildest Sexual Desires. Galen lectures internationally at universities, grad schools, and psychology conferences on the psychological dynamics of sexual fantasy, sexual authenticity, and untangling shame, fear, and trauma from sexual desire. He is on the faculty of the Modern Sex Therapy Institute, where he offers CE-approved classes for therapists on kink and sex-positive psychology. He has a master's in transpersonal psychology from Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. Galen works with clients within a transpersonal framework that helps individuals and couples move through secrecy, shame, fear, and trauma towards honest, embodied, and confident expression of their authentic desires. He helps clients shift from compulsive, secretive, risky sexual behaviors to negotiated, consensual, ecstatic sexual engagements. Galen's latest book, Decoding Your Kink, Guide to Explore, Share, and Enjoy Your Wildest Sexual Desires, has been praised by sexual psychologists and educators as visionary, masterful, groundbreaking, cutting edge, worth its weight in diamonds, highly recommended, a must read. He is also the author of The Sharp Edge of Love, Extreme Sex, Mythic Passion, Primal Intensity. Meet Galen at galenfoos.com. Here is the interview with Galen Foos. In your own words, who is Galen Foos? <laughs> well, I'm a, a journey, I would say. Uh, and it's been a, on a path of, uh, since I was young. I just felt compelled. Uh, first, when I was, you know, be, in my before teenage years, I was raised Catholic, went to Catholic school. So I had an aspiration to the priesthood, as they used to say. Uh, to go to seminary, and I felt called to something beyond what I was experiencing 
just day to day. And, and, you know, I went to church, I saw priests. I was, you know, there was also, I thought a certain cachet of being a priest. That's kind of cool. You know, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't just like so devoted. I think, you know, it was, uh, it looked cool, uh, yeah. probably, but uh, the deeper part was that, you know, I've always been learning and wanting to learn about myself, about how to make the world work. What is this mystery that we are in? It's fascinating. So, that would be me. My first official question to you is about love, because I cannot disconnect sex with love. I always connect sex to love. I always did my entire life. So I have to ask you that question. What is love to you? Love separate from sex, sex or not, is resonance, soulful resonance. I mean, I don't think it can be experienced alone, maybe. Uh, or very this romantic love anyway certainly can uh, and so it is this finding uh, someone that resonates with these uh, as we talked earlier these deeper parts of the soul that you uh, just feel kindred you feel safe you feel welcomed invited uh, uh, there's this the, the chemistry this uh, the joy you know, and maybe even um, the deeper than that is the ability to process when all the tumult and chaos that inevitably mm, yeah. comes up, even when you're uh, in love or you feel you're with your life partner. Even you know, this is uh, the beginning is the the love of the romance, but then it becomes the the love of the process of being able to have the joy of being able to work out these difficult differences that might show up or disagreements you know I, I think for my own experience that has been the deepest place I felt love was in this feeling like well whatever comes up I can work it out with this person you speak of the soul you just use that word twice you say that your work helps us to cultivate our authentic sexuality as a sacred, liberating personal experience and learn to integrate our liberated sexual being into our everyday culture, family, and spiritual life. So my question is, what is a spiritual life or what is the soul to you? It's personal, you know, it's, it's what the individual, what myself or any other individual uh, has to find I think the, the, I'm most compelled by what I'll call the, the mystical path, which is uh, the personal relationship to, to the divine, whatever that is. You know, I, I just call it the mystery because I have no idea what <laughs> <Yeah>. it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I know it's there. I'm <laughs> confident it's there. And I've experienced different levels of, of uh, conscious experience that just are... Uh, transcendental, uh, as you mentioned that word earlier. So uh, this, the soul is the personal experience, and it is also uh, not just an ascendant desire, as I experienced, it's also there, there's a descent that one can take. Actually, that's where I, I put soul as the taking the descent. Spirit is, is rising to heaven, you know, mm -hmm. aspiring to the to the upward channel but I, I got really fascinated with this so what i call the soulful channel which was the descent which is taking oneself down deeper into the body into rhythm into lust and primal instincts and the beast and 
you know, our connection with the nature and the rhythms of nature and the cycles of nature. This was, uh, for me, the soulful path because it's embodied. You know, right. you're, you're really, it's about really being present in the body. Uh, I decided, no, I have, uh, I'm not so good at getting enlightened. I didn't get very far. So I, I was realized that, well, that's not that interesting to me to try to become enlightened. I wanted to more live my life in, in a fully embodied present way. I never heard it that way, but that makes so much sense. The soul being this, the experience of that higher, the spirit, whatever that is. So that resonates true to me. So um, what would that sacred sexuality be, Galen? Uh, again, it's personal. You know, it's what, right. up to the individual to define for themselves what yeah. their normal is, what their sacred is, what their spiritual is. You know, referring to the mystical path what was, I think, all of the great teachers really were talking about the mystical path. You know, the truth is within. I and the Father are one kind of statements were pointing to, which some people got and it went and lived in the caves and the monasteries and, you know, really went for this uh, personal experience, personal relationship even. But sacred sexuality, again, I think it can have those two components to uh, the ascent, the spiritual, like the, you know, the neo-tantra and sacred sexuality. It usually means uh, the, the, the ascendant path. You know, uh, the spiritual path, the holy path, the heart path, and uh, which left anyone who was kink-oriented or uh, had a little bit of more animal instinctual dimension to their their sexuality, uh, there was really no place uh, for that. But it also, so I look at sacred sexuality as either direction, whatever is the right way for you to go. Uh, and and follow your truth and seek out the mystery uh, that you're compelled to go find and and so sexually it it really is sex can be this great union through the ascendant path uh, but it's really a circle because you can also get the same union if you take the descent path of going into the the primal nature into the beast into the wild you know what i call the erotic wilderness uh this is a fascinating territory which just the truth is uh a good percentage of people are drawn by more so you can have both of those paths that you bring to because i think the uh the entryway into the primal path or the descent is through the heart you want to begin you want to be going in with your uh, beloved, you know, someone you trust, someone you feel connected to, someone you feel you can communicate with, someone you feel will honor your boundaries and, and, and negotiate with you about where do we want to go or what are you open to or not, and get really clear about those things about consent. And once you get that heart-centered, I'll call it, begin, uh, beginning, then you can go through the threshold into that inner, that container it's a i think of it as ritual so it's a in a ritual container that you can take the descent and go into these darker edge taboo forbidden uh, quote unquote inappropriate right. energies that are just no one knows why i don't think well i have some theories but there are people who are drawn to the the, the edgier side of their sexuality and that's their norm that's their natural that's where they really get these transcendent ecstatic mind-shattering, uh, orgasmic experiences from. Right. 
going uh, in a way to be in this power exchange, you know, like uh, alpha beta, you know, mammalian territorial growling uh, kind of hot blooded, you know, uh, intensity. Sex always came across, I always connected to love, the idea of romantic love, and also ritual. And you just mentioned the word ritual. So there is something about sex that feels like it is a ritual. We get prepared for, we kind of, that's an interesting, I never thought it that way, but it is, isn't it, Galen? Well, I think that's what I think of as conscious sexuality. It's almost inevitable that you either, well, you're either consciously or unconsciously yeah. doing ritual. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the more conscious, though, you can make the ritual, understand, of, you know, with intent, oh, here's the, uh, you know, one of the main elements of uh, ritual is, well, the container, you know, and the container has a threshold, and there's a way you can enter the container or what you leave behind before you enter the container and then the ambience of the container then the ambience is all about sensorial activation so you know the the aromas the lighting the textures the colors you know so you can really consciously and, and really refine and home in again back to your personal ambience yeah. oh yeah this is not just this room but oh i want this color i want this lighting this music uh and then you enter that container and that's a enlivened container and it's enlivening you when you enter it so in other words, all of your senses are coming alive. That's the intention of creating the ambience in the ritual container. So you're fully present, right? Yeah, and that enlivenedness is presence. You know, you're activating all your senses in your body. You are coming to presence. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? Well, I don't know if a human can know that. It's mm -hmm. really beyond comprehension. You know, why are we, why did we get put here? You know. Right, right. Uh, but from up again, from the personal experience, though, we seem to have developed, or many people do anyway, clearly, uh, a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, some knowing you have uh, like that aspiration to the priesthood, I mentioned, just something in you that knows you're not taking, uh, as Joseph Campbell said, the right hand path, you know, this is the left hand path, the hero's journey. And, and this seems to be the purpose why I don't. I really have a clue. I can tell for personally me why I, yeah, I want to learn these things. I want to feel these things. I want to shed my fears and my uh, shames and my, my uh, terrible judgments interiorly that I can carry with me. So uh, it seems like we are here. And also, I'd say then also for that, uh, there's a category of people that are here to be in service, yeah. you know, that just naturally aspire to that. It's not, you know, selfishness isn't getting them off, you know, but the service is really hitting home to the heart and the feel, the feeling of the, you know, the joy of being is in those uh, paths. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? I think it's an ideal that there's no perfection in, but, uh, I think it is, uh, it weaves into like human nature and therefore human rights uh, to be able to speak your truth, to pursue the path that is right for you, to partner with who is right for you, to congregate with those who are your natural tribe somehow or other, and to practice the rituals that are meaningful to you. What are some of the greatest misconceptions about sex? 
<laughs> that it's uh, a sin, that it's uh, dirty, that it's uh, disgusting, that animals do that, uh, that you should be ashamed of yourself for being who you are sexually. That would be kind of my short version, I think. Why do you think that happens? I know you mentioned earlier the uh, religiosity, religion getting in the way, but yet what are the obstacles to these to embrace sex in a more open and healthy way? Well, it's probably one of the most complex tasks we have to uh, undertake to uh, integrate our sexuality into our everyday life, to embrace what's true about it, to even to explore it, because a lot of times we don't really know exactly because we've been so removed from it. So there has to be an opportunity to explore there. But I think one of the key principles uh, to understand if you're pursuing your sexual authenticity is the idea of paradox. And in this world, the Western cultures, particularly any culture that has a monotheistic uh, spiritual belief or dogma system, uh, automatically divides things into good and bad, right or wrong, uh, you know, black or white. And and so, unfortunately, in the Western cultures, the body, sex, uh, pleasure has all been put in the evil category. And so we grow up in this uh, with these yearnings and these natural uh, parts of us, you know, that come alive and are activated and are turned, getting turned on by the stimulus in the environment. And another part of us going, oh, don't anybody see that. Oh, quiet. Keep it. Keep, keep that hidden. Keep that secret. Or you get caught and then you get shamed and traumatized. And then you really have a lot of work to do to be able to claim your sexual authenticity. So. But the truth is, uh, it's not an or, it's not right or wrong, good or evil. It's, uh, yeah, I'm a very sexual man. I like uh, the the edgier taboo aspects of sex, and, and I, I ritually practice those. And I'm also a good parent and a, a member of my community, and I'm in service in the world. And I'm, I aspire to, you know, uh, accomplish things and to express my creativity. So it's an and on both of those things. But we in our culture have been shamed into believing, oh, you're, you're a slut. That's, you're going to go to hell and you're, uh, you know, nobody's going to want you and uh, you're going to be ruined. And this is what I call the erotic wilderness. You know, before I mentioned, you know, this is the biggest part of our sexuality that we have not explored. And it's like a wilderness area that we get to the edge of and we're peering in and we get excited and there's so many things there. But we know that, oh, my God, if I go out there, I'll be ruined and I'll be destroyed and uh, bad things are going to happen and no one will want me. I'll be judged and shamed more than I've already been. So that keeps people locked in uh, with their yearning stuck uh, in their fear. And this is a big problem because they believe those that parent, they believe the monotheistic view of right or wrong, good or evil, rather than understanding, oh, I can still be who I am, uh, this wonderful person in the world, and also be whatever I am sexually. And it's nobody's business on one hand uh, who, how I am applying uh, my truth. Or, uh, But then this is why I said it's complex, because... Uh, most of us need uh, a lot of personal work to work through the, the, the complexities, the, the traumas, the, 
the uh, experiences that really disconnected us from our sexuality. You wrote the book Decoding Your Kink, Guide to Explore, Share and Enjoy Your Widest Sexual Desires. So two questions. How did you become a writer and what was the inspiration to write this book? I always wrote, just started with poetry as a teenager probably and, you know, was fascinated by the writers I loved reading, novelists and such, uh, growing late teens and 20s and just thought, man, I want to write like that. I want to be able to write like that and so practiced and wrote and kind of failed <laughs> at the uh, being a great fiction writer. Uh, but I still had, then I got into business and I was, you know, marketing and writing copy was, uh, you know, natural to me. And so I kind of kept my pencil sharp along the way. And then it finally, uh, through my own journey, uh, uh, I wrote an earlier book called The Sharp Edge of Love. That was my first book. And uh, this was... Uh, uh, half fiction, half uh, documentary of my own experience. And uh, so, yeah, right, I like to communicate. I love hearing good writing and or reading good writing. And uh, so it's always been something I've enjoyed doing. And uh, this particular book, Decoding Your Kink, was uh, kind of the culmination of uh, – my graduate school thesis and, and also more my mission of being able to support people in and going through their own journey. I went through a tough journey to get to the place where I could embrace my sexuality and stand up with it. And so I wanted to, uh, I had been working out techniques and ways I was working with people as a therapist and uh, guide through this already. And so uh, I just felt I had accumulated enough down the path of my own journey that I could share some of that hopefully to inspire others and help them get some insight to untangle their own shame, fear, and trauma from their authentic sexuality. Yeah. Talk to me for a moment about your own journey of being, of getting there in that sense of being sexually mm -hmm. authentic. And also, why did you choose to become a sex-positive therapist? It would be uh, difficult to put my story in a nutshell, which yeah. we have here to do. But, uh, you know, uh, my sexuality came alive when I was probably five years old. I was quite aware of it. It was a distinct persona within me that was much more mature than my five years old. And I kind of had a sense of that. But it's... Uh, what I affectionately call the sex creature. You know, this is a, uh, a distinct psychological structure within each human being that is uh, a distinct personality, persona, from one's everyday social persona and mind. That's a theoretical model I work from uh, as a sex researcher. I call it a personal erotic myth, not the, but my pet name, you might say, is the sex creature. And uh, as I, you know, and that journeyed with me all through my life, and uh, as I uh, was raised a Catholic and in a repressive culture, uh, I was terrified of anybody knowing that part of me. But I was totally fascinated and enjoyed it on my own. Uh, I didn't feel ashamed about it. I was, mo I was only afraid of getting caught or discovered. 
uh, I was, I really kind of relished uh, on my own fantasy level. And so, you, you know, and this is in my research now, uh, there's uh, some 45% of people on a 5,000 person research project I have, have said that they they're similarly before the age of 10, they were already sexually active, masturbating, uh, fantasizing, exploring even. And so this is a very uh, phenomenal reality that, you know, we don't think of, of our children, yeah, <laughs> you know, of right. how vivid their sex life can be already. And, and they're uh, totally unprepared and not uh, put at risk because we don't have sex education and, and help guide them, et cetera. But uh, that's another topic. But this is uh, so that carried with me through my life. I hit it through my life until I was in my late 40s. Then I decided to step into my truth and, and not and live my life authentically, uh, which is a whole nother journey in itself. But mm. that was the, the, the short story. And by doing that, I went through a lot of calamity. And then that put me on the path of, as they say, as a wounded healer to be able, I understood what others are going to go through when they try to take that journey. And I, and I knew I had some skills to help uh, support them. Since you mentioned children, how do you educate your own children on sexuality? Do you start at that early age, five or even before? Or Well, uh, unfortunately for me, uh, my I didn't come to this place in my life till after my kids were uh, oh, right. growing up. Uh, or on their own way, so that didn't I didn't have the opportunity or the understanding uh, yeah. of how to do that. But uh, again, it's it's personal. It's up to the parents to you know to be finding their way. But uh, the encouragement is to think about this. You know, how, how can I both protect my child, and how can I also let them be honest and and be able to have a normal conversation with me about sex, whatever their question might be, you know, and really encourage their questions and really pay attention to your own judgments that might be getting triggered by what they might say. This is very important not to project onto them something you're afraid of if they're not. And uh, so, again, there's no perfection in, in how you approach this because they might say some things that you just start like, no way, <laughs> or, or whatever, you know, that you have a strong reaction to. And so as a parent, you're put in a very tough position of maintaining the parental authority that's required to, you know, protect the child ultimately. And uh, that edge where goes into shadow where you are traumatizing your own child out of a fear that you haven't dealt with yet. We're almost at the end, and I have, like, so many other questions here for you. But let me ask you... Is it your work for men only or also women? I work with men, women, and, and some couples, but I'm, I'm focused more on individuals. And uh, yeah, I'd say more men are my clients, but I, 50, 60, 40 maybe in that range. Do you offer services online? I do what these days are called telehealth, but what I was doing well before that became a term of just, you know, most of my clients are all over the place. So we do video call appointments or just phone appointments. Uh, and I have some appointments in person in my uh, office in Portland, Oregon, which I'm currently in Spain at the moment. But 
that's how I work with people. And I do workshops and webinars and uh, expert witnesses, uh, things, you know, so any of those. Talk to me, before I ask you my final questions, how do we learn to identify when we have become sexually authentic? In some ways, that's an aspiration, not a destination. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, because it's a good, you're learn. It's a learning practice. You know, it's a. Yeah. It's not a static True. state. Yeah. Uh, you are can expand and grow, and I mean, you can stay wherever you want. Uh, but usually, there's a, it's a big territory, so there's lots of room to continue to deepen your authenticity. But I think the important thing is to get on the path, have an intention. Start with that. Start with having an intention. My intention is to be sexually authentic. That's like an anchor. That's a powerful statement. If someone chooses, uh, I want, uh, or I want to be honest with about my sexuality. These are having those. Start with an intention like that. Write yourself an intention uh, like that, and then work from there. Uh, to what does that look like then? You know, I, I call the five, the five keys to integrating your sexuality into your life are. Uh, one being sexually authentic, which includes being who you are, but also exploring if you're not clear. Sexually honest is number two of learning how to speak the truth about your sexuality to your partners and also to know you have a right to privacy. It's nobody else's business if you don't want to speak to them about it, but at least to your closest, it's important to be honest. And then the third is empowerment and sexual embodiment. To be both embodied and empowered, they're kind of the same thing. Uh, and this is all that we talk about, all the work you can do at the body level of different uh, movement practices and breath and all these things uh, are involved in that. And the fourth is uh, understanding your sexual shadow. And these are all the ways in the past. If you have if you're choosing now to be sexually authentic, that means, well, the rest of the decades I haven't been. So that means it's been in some sort of shadowy expression maybe and likely uh, that you want to be cleaning up your act so to speak of you know taking your sexuality out of the shadows out of the dishonesty out of the avoidance out of the uh all the things and then the fifth which we already spoke to was the one about paradox recognizing what is not authenticity it might be even more important right galen in a way So can you give me some examples of what would that be? Well, that dovetails back to uh, the shadow. Yeah. The thing to hide or don't want others to know about us. So that means, you know, if you're being inauthentic, that means you're covering up some the truth about yourself uh, and you're acting like you're something else. A classic example is uh, more in the 50s than now, like a, a, a man, a homosexual would get married right, right. To, a, to a hetero woman and be living like a hetero man when he's sneaking off in the underworld uh, time to time to be express who he was. And, and that's out of a cultural condition that was people were. And that's the truth still today. People are still terrified of being who they are sexually. And so they hide it and cover it up. Try to anyway. Yeah, that creates some many other issues by doing that. Yeah, there's an epidemic of sexual secrecy. You know, people leading secret sex lives is an epidemic, in my yeah. judgment. Especially with the internet. Yeah, so clearly it's... How mm-hmm. sad. 
That is that we are not able to get out of that prison of not being ourselves because of fear of being judged. Yeah, that's really sad. So I do have a few more questions for you, but before I ask them, would you like to add anything? Hmm. Well, uh, just reflecting on what you just said, uh, as uh, this idea of self-love, yeah. you know, this getting up, going, the path of authenticity is to really come back to loving yourself because we don't love ourselves often. I, do, I don't love myself often or haven't uh, along my journey. I recognize that I haven't been loving myself even. It's very unconscious. These are very subtle energies that take some depth work to really get at. But uh, this, uh, it's typical with my clients that, yeah, they don't, there's a part of them that doesn't love them and judges them and shames them and has the power, has, has dominates them basically. And until they say yes to the, what's their truth, in a fierce way, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the other part of themselves will dominate and you'll stay stuck. And, and that's why people are stuck, because they're being dominated by an inner persona that uh, has control True. over them. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change or do anything in a different way? Eat more pizza. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't... I mean, uh, there's a certain context where I can think, oh, yeah, I'm going to rule it. That means I'm, you know, all these ambitions that I think I might do, though, let's just get on the one that I might be able to do. I might kind of hurry me up because I'm a, I have threads all over the place of different things uh, I do and want to do and I'm trying to do. uh, And I don't think about that I won't do them. I mean, I know I won't do them, but I, I still am somehow trying some reason trying to do a lot of things but that if it was pulled up short like i said oh you know even it was like six months or something yeah i would probably see what i could figure out what what can i get done in that time it's a good question to reflect upon from my perspective Mm -hmm. just to make sure we are being authentic (laughs) it goes back to that if we are really embracing ourselves right and i'm glad i've crossed the path of 70 uh, now and so it's a much more constant thought in my mind, or more prevalent than it's ever been before. I mean, uh, it's the right in my, you know, in front of me. Yeah, these days we live longer, ninety, ninety-five, a hundred. Yeah, so you have a long way <laughs> in the human body. Yeah, I'm kind of operating uh, that way, whether it's true or not. Mm. Yeah, which is good. Yeah, I love that. I'm 44 and I do that every day. Yes, because you never know, regardless of age. So one more question. What are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? That it's personal. That it's a mystery. And that I am a part of nature. Mm. Yes, a billion times. (laughs) Thank you so much for your authentic presence, the work you do, your mission, your purpose. Um, Thank you, Galen. It's really been a pleasure, Valerie. Yeah, really great. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Yeah, well, Google Galen Foos, G-A-L-E-N-F-O-U-S, 
uh, or go to, which will have all my social media and different things. But my website is one word, galenfoos.com. I'll have that posted as well. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Very good. Hope so. Bye for now, Galen. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Galen Foos and his work, please visit galenfoos.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.